Hello, everybody, and welcome to Monmouth College Conversations. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. And every week during the academic year, I sit down with members of the Monmouth College community to talk to them about their interests, what they do, and things they've done. In this 31st edition of Monmouth College Conversations for the 2022-2023 school year, we're going to talk to former Congressman Richard Gephardt. Congressman Gephardt gave this year's commencement address at Monmouth College, and he has a lot to say about the state of U.S. politics, the corrosive effects that social media have on the body politic, as well as prospects for the rural Midwest. A total of 190 graduates and their families were celebrated at Monmouth College's 166th commencement ceremony that was held on Sunday, May 14. Because of a threat of severe thunderstorms, the ceremony was moved from its usual location on the Wallace Hall Plaza inside the Huff Athletic Center. It was packed with graduates, their family members and friends, along with Monmouth College faculty, staff, alumni, and trustees. This year's commencement ceremony was former Congressman Richard Gephardt. Congressman Gephardt was a Democratic U.S. representative from the St. Louis area from 1977 to 2005. He also served as House Majority Leader from 1989 through 1995 and House Minority Leader from 1995 until 2003. He also sought the Democratic presidential nomination in 1988 and then in 2004. Since retiring from a 14-term career in Congress, Congressman Gephardt has been president and CEO of the Gephardt Group, and he's also been very active in civic life. You can read more about Mama's 166 commencement ceremony, which includes more than 1,700 pictures from the weekend at mammothcollege.edu news. Before Congressman Gephardt delivered his commencement address, I sat down with him in Wallace Hall to talk about the state of U.S. politics, his thoughts on the present discontent, and prospects for the Midwest. With Congress playing fiscal chicken with the federal debt limit, many observers have asserted that the environment in Washington has never been worse in terms of the ability to get work done. Uh, about a decade ago, Thomas Mann and Norm Ornstein published a book, It's Even Worse Than It looks, how the American constitutional system collided with the new politics of extremism. I guess my question is, were Mann and Ornstein just a few years early with their gloomy assessment of Washington, or what we've been seeing lately, an example of what the late uh, Samuel Huntington outlined in his book, The Promise of Disharmony, in which he argued that every third generation or so, America goes through a period of great disruption and then comes out better on the other end. Well, I think you have to start this discussion by understanding uh, a basic fact, and that is that democracy and politics is really a substitute for violence. So politics and democracy often has bitter disagreements, lots of discussion, lots of working together to try to have compromises to deal with difficult disagreements or controversial issues. So 
uh, it's gotten worse lately, in my view. It was all, it's always bad, right? It's always hard. It's always contentious. It's always politics and back and forth and backbiting and all the things you would know. But it's gotten worse, in my humble opinion, because of the information culture in the country today. We've always had various views expressed through print, radio, television. That's fine. That's it. Those are venues for discussion of disagreements. But now with social media, having a business plan of using First of all, if you're on social media, they know everything about you. They scrape your data every minute of every day. So they know everything that, that you've done, what you believe, how you behave, what you buy, who you love, whatever. And so they use AI algorithms to boost to you information. So they're now the curator of information. They boost to you information to keep you angry and anxious and upset every minute of every day and night, not to get you upset, but to keep your attention so their revenues are increased. I understand that. I'm a capitalist. I believe everybody should make money much as they can. But if your business plan is harming our ability to have a democracy, then I've got a problem with it. And we need to put guardrails around how they use AI for this purpose. But let me go back to your essential question. Yes, I think the American people today, because of what I just talked about, are about as divided as they were in 1860. I was in politics for a long time. I had town hall meetings. I went door to door for 35 years. And all the things you're hearing about now were present then. People had conspiracy theories. People were hateful. People were racist. People felt very strongly about their issues like abortion or guns or whatever it was. But today, that disagreement has turned into hatred. People literally hate one another. Families can't have Thanksgiving dinners together because the members of the family are in such horrible disagreement that they hate one another. Now, if the people are bitterly divided and polarized, you can bet that Congress will be bitterly divided and polarized. You have to remember Congress is a reflection of the people. This is self-government of, by, and for the people. And if you're in, in Congress, you've got to reflect your constituency. And if you don't, you're done. You're gone. So that's why the debt ceiling, and you can name 50 other issues, that they're kind of unable today to easily resolve. I'm optimistic that they will still resolve the debt ceiling. I'm optimistic that we'll do better. But I think we've got to address this question of the information culture in the country because we need to have a healthier 
information culture so that people can be good citizens and make the decisions they need to make. You talk about the information culture. I'll notice how that is listening. And Richard Ben Kramer described you as the nobody in America listened harder than you did in his book about the 1988 presidential campaign. Is listening a lost art? Yes, it's, it's harder to get people to understand that that's really important. Um, and I, I take my being able to listen or wanting to listen to all my colleagues and anybody from the most important lesson my mother taught me. And uh, when I was five, she would get down on her knees and look me in the eye and she'd say, Dick, treat other people the way you would like to be treated. Before you say anything to anybody, think how you would like it said to you. Before you do anything to anybody, think how you would like it done to you. When you meet somebody, don't talk about yourself. Listen to them talk about themselves. When you're in a discussion with somebody, really listen to what they're saying so you can learn from them. When I was leader of the Democrats, I had a nickname. They called me Leadbutt. And it's because all I did was put 60, 70 members in a room every night at five o'clock for two hours. And I just listened because my job was how do I get a thread through 218 people to do anything? That's what the majority vote is. And so by listening carefully, I could discern, well, we can get member A on this part of the issue and member B on that part of the issue. And so I I knew their real bottom line. I, I didn't want to know what they were pontificating about. I wanted to know where they were really at in their head and in their heart. So listening is in any walk of life, politics, business, education, healthcare, anything depends on being willing to listen to people. It is our it is our genius as human beings that we can communicate. And a huge part of communication is listening to other people you're trying to figure out how to work with to solve problems. You talked earlier about visiting with voters. I think in your first campaign for Congress in 76, you visited 60,000 homes. You had to visit with a lot of people and visit with people who probably didn't agree with you. Uh, You talked about AI earlier. That allows candidates just to focus on certain types of voters or specific kind of voter. Talk about the risk, the politics there. Candidates are only talking and and can easily segment who they talk to and don't have to go to an entire district and talk to everybody within their district anymore like you did when you campaigned. It's it's, uh, really an important thing for everybody in public service to understand that you have to interact. All these people that, whether they voted for you or not, they are your boss. You've got to listen to all of them. You don't have to agree with them all the time, but you have to really listen to them. Show them the respect. When you listen to somebody, you show them respect. Respect. 
You don't have to agree with them, but you have to listen. Because when you listen, you're saying you're a worthy person. You're equal to me in this being a citizen of the United States. You're entitled to your views. I don't have to agree with them. I'll tell you my views. And then maybe we can figure out a compromise between us to move the whole country forward. So we've got to have Democrats talking to Republicans and listening to Republicans, far-right Republicans, moderate Republicans, and vice versa. This idea that we can isolate people and never talk to them. We're at a point where people don't want to be in the same country with people. I mean, it's ridiculous. This is a democracy. We're all Americans. You have, we have to coexist. We know it's hard. We know it's difficult. But you have to listen to people and painstakingly work toward compromise. Let me tell you one other thing. I often talk of the majesty of democracy, and I really believe it is majestic, magical. And let me tell you why I say that. When I was leader of the Democrats, and the whole time I was in Congress, I saw big, tough, controversial issues get decided with a compromise. It was always hard. It always took too long. It was always fraught with problems. It fell apart 19 times before it finally got done. But once it got done and the vote was held and a decision was made, everybody was pretty unhappy. That's the definition of compromise. But also the people that were still deeply offended by the decision. And here's the important point were willing to grudgingly put up with the result. They didn't want to leave the country. They didn't want to pick up a rifle. They didn't want to cause a revolution. If we had one human being making all the decisions on behalf of all the rest of us, we would be in a state of revolution every day in this country. Democracy is the highest expression of human evolution because it shows that human beings have learned to use communication and respect and acceptance of everybody's views to be able to figure out how to compromise to improve everybody's situation in the entire country. You're listening to Monmouth College Conversations. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. I'm visiting with former Congressman Richard Gephardt. He gave this year's commencement address at Monmouth College. To watch Congressman Gephardt's commencement address, you can find that on the college's YouTube channel. And that address is youtube.com slash Monmouth College. To read all about commencement weekend activities, you can check out as well more than 1,700 pictures from the weekend. Point your browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash news. Now let's get back to my conversation with former Congressman Richard Gephardt. Few people know the Midwest better than you. You spent your career here, visit a lot of the states. What sort of advice do you have to leaders in Midwestern towns, the size of Monmouth, around that size, smaller towns, in terms of looking to the future when it comes to economic development? 
It's a really good question. Uh, I've thought a lot about it. Um, I've spent lots of time in these small towns in Missouri and Iowa and Illinois and all over the Midwest. I first want to say I love the Midwest. Um, and this will be unfair, but I think the people in the Midwest are a little nicer and kinder <laughs> and easier to get along with than people in other parts of the country. Other parts of the country are great, too. They have their own positive characteristics. But the Midwest is just nice. The people are nice. They're kind. They, they, uh, they practice the golden rule more than some people. So I love that. The problem in the Midwest and other parts of the country today, in the industrial parts and the ag parts, and, and, and it's really an important thing to keep in mind, is that in 1900, 80% of the jobs in America were in agriculture. Today, it's 2%. After the ag period, we then had the industrial period. And luckily for the Midwest, a lot of those industrial jobs got created in the Midwest so that it was a pickup of the people that were coming out of agriculture to have a, a job, make a living. Now we're in the information age, and that means knowledge workers. And in the Midwest, in small towns, you still have kind of the basis of the, the economic underpinning of the community is agriculture, our industry. And that's beginning to move away. We've lost so many industrial jobs because we now are engaged in international trade. So when you get an international trade, you just know that you're competing against countries that have a much lower standard of living so they can have much less labor costs than we have. And so that's supplanted a lot of our industrial jobs. So we got a big job ahead of us as a, as a country. We, we've got to figure out trade policies that allow us to still keep some industrial jobs. It's much harder to keep agricultural jobs because it's been so mechanized, but we can keep more of the high-end industrial jobs while small communities figure out how to get the industrial, the information jobs, the knowledge worker jobs. And one of the things that we're looking at today that's a good thing is that now that you can work from home, if you have high-speed internet, if you have broadband, uh, you can do a lot of these information jobs from small towns that used to be ag towns or industrial towns. So that's a bright note. we got to work hard to figure this transition out that has to happen. You're a first-generation college student. You look back on what college meant to you. Uh, talk a little bit about how uh, it changed your life. It was the most important thing in my life. It was transformational. I, was, I grew up in a family where neither of my parents went through two years of high school. It never entered my head in grade and high school to go to college. Nobody ever suggested that I would go to college or it, it just it wasn't a, a factor. I, I, I never thought about it. I had a teacher, a speech teacher at Southwest High School in South St. Louis public school. Uh, I was in a public speaking class that she had. Her name was Miss Meenick. I can still see her. 
And she stopped me after the class and she said, uh, I think you could get a scholarship to go to the junior high school institute between your junior and senior year in high school, five weeks, Evanston, Illinois, and I'll help you fill out the paperwork. I I didn't know what she was talking about. My parents said it was okay. They didn't know what it was about. Uh, I filled it out. I got the scholarship. Um, I got on the train. This is the way we used to travel. And I went from St. Louis to Chicago, got on the L, went up to Evanston, walked out on that campus, and saw all these champion debaters, champion dramatists, champion extemporaneous speakers, and I thought I had landed on Mars. I had never been out of St. Louis in my entire life. So transformational is not a strong enough word to describe what education means to me. You're giving this commencement address on Mother's Day. Talk about the influence. You talked a little bit earlier about that your mother had on not only shaping you as a person, but your political career as well. It was it was the most important thing. Uh, she, uh, we grew up in the Baptist Church in St. Louis, and she was. To say she was religious is really not the way to put. I mean, we we went to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, I went to the Baptist training union on Sundays nights. But the religion that she taught and believed in so strongly was a religion of love your enemy as much as you love yourself. And that's what she preached to me every day of my life. So, you know, if if a young person doesn't have parental guidance it doesn't have to be what she did but we all depend on having a parent or parents that can raise us and and give us the right values and the right understanding of how we should conduct ourselves and a lot of the religious stuff today gets into controversial issues and I understand that they're they're very entitled to have those views but there isn't enough discussion of the underpinning of whatever religion you're involved with and I always say that if if you go to the basis of any religion in the history of the world Hindu Buddhist Muslim Christian Jew it's always around some some version of the golden rule that's kind of the basic human value that religion brings to us. And so I, I, I'm so fortunate that I had that upbringing, and I wish every young person could have that kind of training and advice and love that I had. That's former congressman and Democratic House Majority Leader Richard Gephardt. He represented the St. Louis area for 14 terms in Washington, and he was this year's Monmouth commencement speaker. To watch Congressman Gephardt's commencement address, dial up the college's YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash College. And to read all about commencement weekend activities and also check out some of the more than 1,700 pictures from the weekend, just go to monmouthcollege.edu slash news. 
And that's a wrap on this 31st episode of Monmouth College Conversations. You can tell us what you think or add to the conversation by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put conversation in the subject line. Until our next conversation, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody, and have a nice day.